The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand Series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Adam's going to start by sharing some background and history of his career and, and kind of what he's noticed as he's gotten uh, involved in our program here at the $100 million club. But he's going to segue into sharing insight in four different categories. First, he's going to talk about some lessons he's learned as uh, in, in a role as a technical trainer. And then he'll share some lessons he learned as a training manager. He'll talk about some of the things he's learned as being an actual sales trainer. And then also some of the things that he's learned and applied as a leadership trainer, uh, specifically of managers. And so as he goes through this, um, you know, little segment, you can feel free to, you know, maybe capture any key insights or takeaways in each one of these segments as we go through. And then, you know, what we might do is we'll certainly create a space at the end to have a little, you know, discussion, questions, things like that. But also maybe as we kind of come through each of those four segments, if there is a question or you have a comment or something you want to give feedback on, you can feel free to drop that in the chat or, or just kind of, you know, wave a hand and, and Adam, maybe we'll create just a little bit of a space to check in after each one of those segments and see if there's anything that anybody wants to uh, go deeper on before you move to the sure. next one. So Adam, thanks so much again for, for being with us today and, and for, you know, volunteering or sharing with us your time and your insights. I really look forward to what you have to share with us today. You're welcome, Steve. So um, actually, I'll just bring up the slides. Hey, before we get started, you know, the, the other part of, about this is uh, Nick, Nick brought up a, a really good, his point was a, a guy th through his CFPA uh, training who was just really engaging. I want you guys to have a good time and fun and, and a good aspect. You know, this is, this is not a sort of formal type of thing. I think, uh, what do they call it? Uh, edutainment, you know, where, where if people are laughing there, they can remember things. So hopefully we, we have that. Um, the second thing that I really want to do just, you know, the Melissa, the Diane, and myself, we are just incredibly honored to be a part of the hundred million dollar club. And we just, you know, my number one value in life is gratitude. And so I am just so grateful to be a part of this uh, group. I, you know, I'd read the think and grow rich and, you know, which many of you have done and that whole concept of creating the mastermind. So we've been looking for sort of a mastermind of, of, you know, professionally of people that, you know, are rowing in the same direction that we're doing. And, you know, we, we, we didn't always find that. And so I, we really feel like we have a home here. So it's just, you guys, uh, I really respect I, I, Jason and Dave and I had a good conversation last week and I just respect each of you guys professionally, what you've achieved. And we want to thank you for what you've added for us, even though it's only probably I'd say a year into the relationship. Um, so, you know, with that being said, you know, part of the thing and Steve, Steve, you know what I, I learned, I, I need to read, I, Melissa, this is Melissa's challenge. I don't pay attention all the time. And you, you gave us the question and your, your question to me was actually, how did you get into training services? But I took it, how did I find C, C to P? I don't know how I misread, misconstrued that, but, but, um, you know, part of the thing I'll, I'll go with that. Anyway, we started listening to the rain, rainmaker, or I did, uh, the rainmaker multiplier in the the bucket plan of several years ago, it just, you know, it built up credibility for Dave and Jason sort of in, and this, I think it's a lesson learned for all of us of, of using 
uh, different mediums because then you have that familiarity with people. I, I had heard, gone through some training where the use of videos or, or, and say audio is just so important because like that's why celebrity endorsements really work because because you feel like you know that person that you know it's particularly uh, they even made fun of that whole thing of like tv doctors even though these are just actors we look at them as as doctors and they can sell you know medical products and pharmaceuticals and all those types of things because of that credibility i had that with dave and jason because i sort of felt that way and then uh, dave spoke to uh right now our, our broker dealers cambridge and he had spoken to the bucket plan group and uh, I thought, well, hey, why don't we just go into the training? But we didn't realize beyond just the bucket plan training, how much there was practice management and tax management, all the different things that, you know, led to the Mastermind Collegium as well as this group. So it was just a totally unexpected surprise uh, that we, you know, we found by being associated with you guys. Um, so, you know, one of Steve's questions too is, you know, uh, just, you know, how to, learning design, what have I seen? Cause he and I were talking a little bit with Lindsay and, um, you know, I was shocked when Jason brought up instructional design, cause that was in my previous career, which I'll sort of allude to, um, you know, we, uh, I learned a lot about learning modalities and how to construct learning materials. And the fact that, you know, the whole learning management system that C2P offers has instructional designers and, and things. And so one of the things, you know, um, one of my first jobs was a waiter, right? So I can't go into a restaurant now without necessarily critiquing the, the wait staff and, and so on. So I'm, I'm similar that way with training. And, you know, it's, it's really fascinating because just so when you, I'm seeing sort of the C to P thing that maybe those of you who don't have that background, um, it's, it's a neat aspect that they bring to the table. So one of the big things that my company would do, and I'll, I'll, I'll give it uh, a little bit background a little bit later, we would do job task analysis before we design training programs we had to know, we had to go in and talk to subject matter experts and find out what do you need to know to do your job? What are the, what are the knowledges, the skills, and the, uh, the tasks that you need to be able to do to be able to perform your job proficiently? And so you, we would ask those types of things and then design training based on that. And so one of the things, once again, that I really just see to pay being a part of this is that, you know, uh, I was part of the G2 ensemble training and we had to do a major project. I know Rob's in that right now. And I, I had written this aspect. I had taken some of my training background and applied it to this, this case study. And, and it, as you think of your organization, you know, and thinking of training, training is, um, it's, it's hard to prove an ROI on it that, you know, we, that was our challenge all the time as a, as a company that sold training, it's hard to prove a tangible return on investment on things, but we all know it's valuable. And so, you know, one of the things that was important as you think of your organization, you know, think of training broadly as it's, it's actually, you know, conventional classroom training or, you know, self-study, all those different things that are, that are part of the attending, you know, bucket plan 1.0, 2.0, all those different things, but it's also on the job training. And I know, you know, Jason, uh, many of you guys went through the, uh, you know, advisor career path and that's where the advisor career path is so crucial, you know, because you're, you're, you're having more senior people train the, the, uh, you know, the junior personnel. And it's just, it's just so crucial. My son, uh, was in Boy Scouts and he became an Eagle Scout and, you know, I quit Boy Scouts after two years, but he stuck with it. And I got a chance to see why it was, so, you know, it's, it's boy led training. 
where the senior, senior boys are leading the junior boys. And it's just, it's so crucial in our organizations to really sort of have that. And, and there's the technical training and Melissa leads our advisor group, uh, within there. So there's, there's, there's formalized training that she designs with there, but then there's also mentoring and, and training and mentoring people sort of interchange those two, but they're, they're two different, uh, things that you really need to sort of think about. Um, so, you know, moving on my background, I definitely <laughs> took a, the road less traveled to financial services, you know, that I found out. So, uh, I was growing up pretty poor. I didn't realize that I could get based financial aid. I just thought, Hey, I got to join the military. And so, uh, I went in the military right out of high school and I was an enlisted and I got into the Navy's nuclear power program. So just an aside, I was roaming the halls one day in school, this, uh, teacher comes out and says, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, I'm talking to him. And it was, a uh, it was a rec Navy recruiter and I, I was, I was a big goof off one there. And I was like, well, Hey, what programs do you have in the way of, uh, like Rambo? Uh, uh, and basically he was like, well, we got the Navy SEALs and he got his hooks into me at that point because you, you know, uh, have it. So just a, a, a side of that, I looked into the Navy SEALs, but now I know how tough those guys are. I wasn't, I didn't have what it takes. Those are guys that are like professional athletes. Uh, but I got in the Navy's nuclear engineering program, which was actually a blessing because it was more using your mind than using your body. And it's, it's given me sort of transferable life skills, a very competitive environment, 50%, uh, you know, attrition rate in the, in the program. And it taught me you know, a good aspect of co competition, but it was also sort of the negative aspects of competition that I had. Uh, my specialization was in electrical uh, distribution. So we, we created electrical power that was used th for throughout the ship, as well as we perform maintenance on it. So I was on the USS South Carolina out of Norfolk. Uh, we were a guided missile cruiser. We did two med cruises, part of the first uh, desert storm, as well as we did law enforcement operations down in the Caribbean with the Coast Guard. It's sort of like uh, Narcos. We were busting, uh, busting all the drugs that were coming into the United States. So after I got out of the Navy, uh, that I, you know, I, I really wanted to go West, but unfortunately the best job offer that I got was back here in Maryland, which I am from Maryland. I'm, a, I'm from about an hour for where we presently are located. Even though I wanted to go West, it actually was a blessing that I ended up here. It was the best job that I had and, uh, it was technical training. So I worked for a company called general physics corporation. And, um, you know, I, over the 14 years that I worked there, it was a progression of different things. I started out as a technical trainer. Then I became a, tr a training manager, you know, with, I, at the point I had, uh, 20 different instructor, instructors that worked for me throughout the United States. And so, you know, helping them, you know, work, work through, you know, becoming the best trainers that they could be as far as coaching a lot of those aspects. Then I, then I transitioned to program management. So it was a, a bigger aspect of of running entire programs, storing out, putting out proposals and things along those lines. And then finally, before I left, I was, uh, you know, leading Lean Six Sigma, which is process improvement. And so it really, um, and there's so many things that as we're talking in the hundred million club, as different things you guys are doing, I'm drawing from those previous experiences and just like, Hey, that's a link process improvement. Um, what was really helpful for me, Melissa and I talked about it. It, it was Lean Six Sigma. Lean, it comes from the uh, Japanese uh, Toyota production system, which is about taking waste out of your systems. And then Six Sigma comes from Motorola to reduce the defects in what you do. 
And so, you know, they're, they're really sort of those combining those methodologies was really helpful. Uh, during that time period, uh, I also was, I ended up becoming an adjunct faculty for Dale Carnegie. And uh, initially, many of you probably know the Dale Carnegie course where it's, it's uh, just the public speaking, but they have four main courses, the basic public speaking. They have a very advanced presentation class where they film you and you go through that. And then they have sales training and leadership training. So it was harder to find people. Most people wanted to do that public speaking class, but because of my background, they really wanted me to do more sort of the sales training and leadership training, which was a blessing. I, I developed some sort of expertise in that. Um, some of the other things that I would share within here, GP, general physics, really helped me too, because we ran the corporate universities for Ford, General Motors, Applied Materials, Anheuser-Busch. And it was nice to sit, that was the infancy of, you know, the internet with learning management systems. So it's pretty interesting that, you know, C2P, that's what they offer in theory. So how do you train your workforce in, through conventional different ways, whether it's, it's uh, you know, e-learning or whether it's, you know, traditional classrooms. So I got a chance to do that. And then concurrently, I was, while, I was starting out, Steve and I were talking about this. I started out with the working towards a double E degree, but halfway through, I was like, I don't really need a, an engineering degree to do what I'm doing. So I switched to business, ended up moving into getting an MBA in finance. And many of the guys that were in my um, path were training to be portfolio managers for T. Rowe Price. So I, this career always intrigued me. And um, I didn't make the transition until my, our financial planner came to my wife and I had said, Hey, we want you to be the succession plan because of all this different background that you have. And we would like to bring you in. So that came in 2006. I took a 30% pay cut, but I did see the long-term implication. Plus we were concerned as a government contract contractor, you're always worried about losing your job. The government can terminate contracts for convenience, you know, because it, you know, think about World War II, right? You're, they're built, you've got a contract to build Jeeps. The war's over. They don't need the Jeeps anymore. So they, the, that's a clause that the government always puts into their contracts. So that's a little bit, you know, how I got from there to here. Uh, like Steve said, I'll, I'll stop really quickly just to answer any questions or, you know, give Paul's, Paul's uh, for anything. Any, anybody have any questions or anything? I, um, at what point did you do the Lean Six Sigma? I've been really, um, you know, interested in that. And is Lean what the art of Six Sigma? Because aren't they, you know what I mean? Is it, is it all among the same thing? Or it does Lean, Lean Six Sigma. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jason, they, um, they were two different disciplines. I, I sort of think of, uh, UFC mixed martial arts kind of thing. You know, somebody starts out karate, boxing, you know, and then they sort of combine them together. They were, they were, um, they started out as uh, different, different disciplines, but then, you know, I, and, and, and I worked with some consultants that were really sort of leading, leading me there. And, and, and it, as they started, they started seeing, you know, the trouble with, with um, Six Sigma was it, 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 Six Sigma came to, you know, standard deviations, three, three defects per 1 million. And the challenge with that was, you know, and it's really emphasis in, in uh, 
you know, manufacturing. And the trouble with that methodology that they found was that, hey, you could reduce it down there, but then you had so much waste that was, was a part of it. And it, it was, you know, the difference between being efficient versus effective. So you know, there, that w there was a whole groundswell to sort of bring those two disciplines together. Okay. Yeah. Um, Scott Ford, uh, who was a uh, good friend of mine, he's a hundred million dollar club too. And, uh, he's just a raving fan of lean. He said it was one of the best things he's ever done in his business. Oh, to, uh, increase efficiency, profitability. So, yeah, well, one of the takeaways that I got from that, uh, and unfortunately, um, I got this career opportunity to move over here before I got a chance to go through all the certifications, becoming a green belt, black belt, and so on. I really wanted to do that. But one of the big things, which I think is applicable for us, people always, you know, so you, the, the way they chose projects is, you know, you look at where are you going to get return on investment and, and, and voice of the customer, figuring out where, where that would be. And one of the, the aspects that people always say, you know, hey, lean, are, you know, if we take out waste, aren't we eventually going to get, get uh, where we've taken out all the waste out of our system? And the, ch the challenge is, as human beings, we create waste, you know, we create inefficiencies, we create all those things. And, you know, because there's the whole emotional kind of, well, hey, now it's got to touch eight different hands. And they did a great exercise. So we had a, a group of Air Force officers that uh, retired or Air Force officers that did the training. And if, if I hadn't seen it firsthand, um, you know, I, I would have, I wouldn't have believed it. So we did this whole exercise of creating uh, paper airplanes, right? And so much of what we do is really thinking that we batch things and they have just in time inventory where you do things as they come through. And, and, and it was really amazing how you saw, like you were able to create more paper airplanes just by doing just in time than, than to batch things. But it's human nature for us to sort of batch things. But it, it's really tight. You never, you know, click, completely take the waste out of things. Plus the other thing that we saw was that, you know, in, in a, particularly for our industry here is the regulata regulation that you have. Some of the things that you have, you've got waste, even though you don't, you can't take it out because of the regulatory, you know, environment that you're under. It's good. Yeah, maybe see we could add like a lean have a speaker, you know what I mean? And then off the future, really won't be Kurt. Yeah. Okay. We'll make note of that for sure. Yeah, we and Melissa, uh, we had we had a group that came in that was familiar with process improvement. And I'll share with you, Melissa might get a laugh out of this. One of the things that when we did this was that how much pain I was causing to the group. You know, because, you know, how much I would, hey, I wanted to have, you know, be the visionary for our group. There was almost like a, I'm sprouting with all these ideas, but then the reality of it, it's like, hey, it takes time to do all these things. And it's, it's, that has really helped me better understand. It's like, okay. And you guys follow the EOS methodology. That's why it's really important to have rocks. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You've got to be, you got, you've got to become a ruthless prioritizer of the objectives you want to do pick the two or three and go in versus let's do 20 different things. You know, it's, it's what you say no to is just as crucial to all the things you say yes to. Great. So, um, you know, so, you know, as, as Steve's talked about some lessons learned as a technical trainer, um, you know, one of the things that I would talk, you know, just go in or talk in terms of people on some of this stuff you guys have heard, but it's reinforcing the message and, and so on. 
And, you know, what, you know, one of the things that, and particularly as I see here, Greg, as I've gotten exposed to, to the folks within this hundred million dollar group and in, in the whole C2P arena, uh, Greg is just wonderful. You know, we've done mentor connect calls with them as far as using, and I, I know many of you guys use metaphors and analogies, you know, uh, uh, we, we did a lot of training for technical. I had to te teach both technicians as well as engineers, totally different educational types of things. So I really had to become a chameleon and speak in terms that each of them would understand. And, you know, it was just so crucial. One of the things I'll say my unique abilities is that, you know, as I listen to my clients, you know, I try to inhabit their world. So if somebody's in the medical field, I'm using analogies all the time that are related to the medical field that are, are similar, the financial to the medical. And it's always really trying to do that. Um, the, the, the last thing that I would say is the research. I found this fascinating. I can't, I don't know where it was, but this was one of the things when people don't understand you, they don't think you're, uh, they're less intelligent. They think you're less intelligent. And so it's really important to, to you know, take our message and, you know, use the terms that they use, not use those, you know, CFP wording and all those types of things you know, like you guys have done, it's not risk anymore. It's, you know, volatility. It's using terms that I, I know one of the coffee breaks. Um, I really love the whole thing of annuities, you know, income annuities, private pension, stuff that people, you know, can readily, readily understand. Um, second bullet repetition is mother of learning. You know, we just, you know, we make the mistake of, Hey, I said it one time to our clients or they heard it once it's, it's constant, you know, constant repetition. Nick Murray talks about you know, we're constantly boosting our clients, you know, with, with, not, they, you know, they, they forget, as you guys know, they forget of, you know, bear markets, they do recover, you know, it, 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 they think it's unique. Um, learning modalities, it's just really important to understand and different learning styles as you're working with individuals, with couples, all those different, different aspects. You know, most of us are visually oriented and I, I really had to coach some of more of the senior advisors. They just would talk. And it was like, well, well, let's create a graphic, you know, let's, let's use e-money, you know, not, let's just not talk about their numbers. Let's put it up on the screen. So, so that we're engaging the visual aspect. Um, it's more challenging to do tactical, tactical types of things. But if you can use examples, you know, uh, that, that, that you have in, inside there tangible, you know, somebody was, uh, somebody used the example of, of like, uh, of, you know, thinking at a bear market buying low. The guy, you would have a brick and he's like, Hey, next time you feel like you're going to, you want to throw uh, this through the window to do it, attach a tech, you know, for $10,000, I'll show that with a baseball. So engaging, let them touch it and all those different things. Um, you know, the last bullet in here, they don't know until they explain, you know, just, we make the mistake as people that we think people understand because they just nod and give approvals. And, you know, it's just really important so that, you know, them putting it back in their own terms and so that they, they conceptually understand it. Melissa has shared with me, you know, some of the times that she is talking, you know, with some of her clients and when they can give, come, when they can explain back to us the bucket approach or the tax funnels, then, you know, they got, it, you know, and that it versus that they're, they're just sort of shaking their head. Uh, so. I'll, I'll pause, I'll pause there. Is there any questions or comments? I, I think the one thing that you mentioned, Dan, that stuck out in my mind, because I catch myself in this, we, we think they understand a lot more than what they actually are, you know, because we're constantly getting that head, head nod. And, you know, I, I, 
I kind of constantly remind myself to give them that checkup, you know, you know, and go through and 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 really make sure they're understanding because that's where I generally find if I'm losing somebody, it's because they're just agreeing all along and they really don't understand where I'm going. Well, your your whole analogy that you says, hey, I'm going to shut the hood and and the auto mechanic, I, it, you know, I I I I think it's so so true. And I I always tell my clients, you know, trying to read people of where they are. It's, 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 I can dive as much in the weeds. You know, most of my clients, they're certainly fine at just a very 10,000 foot view. See, this is the challenge. Most of us are CFPs. The CFP uh, curriculum and that whole methodology assumes that everybody's analytical and what, Hey, we need to lay out to them the bazillion, our thought processes that got there. And, and, and some of it's our regulatory and our type of thing, like you need to lay out the case and, you know, to go back vacillate between the sales world, as you guys know, once you've made the sales, stop talking, you know, a lot of times, but we feel like, Hey, we need to keep on validating. And they're already, so, you know, it's the proverbial Jerry Maguire. You had me at hello. And, and you don't need to, you don't need to really sort of dive, dive into it. So, yeah. Well, and I, I think the big value that, and I'll, and I'll shut up, but it's like, you're almost telling them it's okay. If you don't understand by, by that analogy. And if you guys aren't familiar, I think I've used it. I talk about, you know, that often when I sit with people, our conversation is going to evolve into the conversation I sometimes have with my mechanic. When he starts talking about things under the hood, I eventually just ask him to fix the car, right? Because I don't really understand how the engine works, nor do I ever want to. But you still have to understand the principles of owning a car. If you buy a brand new car and don't maintain it, you're going to have issues. And so I use that as one of my introductory things. I says, anytime you want me to shut the hood, just tell me to shut the hood. And you'd be surprised how many times people tell me, can we just close that hood? Because I don't understand that anymore. But yeah, that's, when, that, you know, that's, it's piles. Exactly. Yeah. So I sold engineering services while I was at general physics and I worked with engineering engineers and I, you know, I'd have to tell them, it's like, look, unless they ask you how that works, don't get, don't volunteer your thought process that you went through to get there. Uh, don't, don't voluntarily just put that out there. Cause you know, for us, you know, in the analogy we have in the electrical world, that's similar to what you're saying, Greg, people, you know, I know how electricity works, but they don't want to know how the generator does and, uh, rotating magnetic fields and all they, people just want to know when you flip the switch, does it, does the light come on? You know, that's as simple as that. Ryan's got a really good analogy for that about some people want to know how the watch is made and some people want to know what time it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's good. And there's, there's two different types of people. Um, and the reason I brought that up is because uh, Dimensional does a communications workshop and I don't know if anybody's ever had a chance to go to it, but it's, if you ever get the opportunity, you should. Um, and I, I, I gotta tell you, I'm really kind of amazed about how closely that slide that you have up follows what they talk about in that communications workshop, which is really just having like the four S's, right? The script, sketches, stories, and supplements. So that you're engaging your clients in all the different modalities. You're using, you know, relatable material in order to, you know, put things in simple terms. And then you've got stuff that they can like hold and feel and you can draw that way. They kind of you know, when you communicate with people on those four planes, it really lends to, Hey, the credibility and helps them understand what you're trying to explain. So good. The only other thing, the only other thing I would add, Nick, cause that's, that's 
fantastic feedback too, um, is people want to know what time it is when things are going as planned, right? You want to know what time you lay it when you're on the airplane and there's no turbulence and everything is totally normal and you're drinking your, you know, Diet Coke or Red Bull and vodka, whatever your choice is. But, you know, if, you know, it starts shaking around and making all kinds of funny noises, that's when people will kind of tend to lean more towards how the watch is made, right? Say, okay, I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's going on. And so communicating that with your clients as well to say, hey, I understand that most times you're a what time is it kind of guy. But when things start to get a little shaky, you may want to be able to peek under the hood yourself just to know, hey, this is how a watch is made. And so I think just acknowledging that, you know, being able to explain how the watch is made to people gives them some comfort to say, hey, look, you know, we're watching this. We know what's going on. We're doing all the things possible. We have all the technical due diligence behind the scenes. If you want to get it off there, great. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's important to understand that that is sort of a, you know, um, you know, a spectrum that people will move back and forth on depending upon the situation. Yeah. You know, Brian, the thing that I would say, just listening to you, you know, there, there's a couple of things too, that I feel like is important is that, you know, the people that automatically trust you from the get go, you know, one of the things that, that it would be easy, you know, now this is sort of, uh, antithetical to what I just said. Sometimes you said there, Hey, stop talking what you done. Sometimes when people automatically trust us from the beginning, then we assume, well, Hey, I don't need to keep talking on here, but there's always an element of education that I really want to try to do with people. I said, Hey, I appreciate that you trust me and you're going to take my word for it. But as a fiduciary, I need to make sure I'm telling you, you know, a, a little, little tid point, because, you know, if you don't do that during the good times, then they're going to be scared rabbits. They're going to be listening to people on the, you know, on the, you know, uh, during the bad times. So there's a constant reinforcing and education, you know, that you, that you have to have to do. Um, Nick, one of the other things that I would share with yours is that we also, Melissa and I had seen this too, to your point, the older we get, our abilities to process numbers just become more challenged. And so, you know, it's just so crucial that, you know, our ideal clients that are that baby boomers in their sixties and seventies, they weren't, we're not spreadsheeting them to death, you know? And so, and so you're, you're giving them pictures, you know, to really reinforce what you're trying to, to, um, communicate. Um, you know, actually, uh, Adam, if you don't mind, I think Tim had a question really quick. And then I have one thing I would love to add before you move on to the next, uh, content area. So go ahead, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, just just I was wondering. I, I loved one of the quotes that you put in there, and I think it it, it dovetails on every, what everybody else is art, you know, sharing right now. And I agree with everything you guys have said. And I I do the exact same thing. So whether it's the watch or the or the car and the hood and all that stuff. So it's yeah, valid. If you're looking for validation, I think we're all on the same page with it. Um, one thing that's different though, I think the the world today is not the same as what it used to be. And you said when people don't understand you, they don't think they're less intelligent they think you're less intelligent. And that's a difference because, you know, I would say in the eighties and nineties, you know, if you didn't understand somebody, you just thought they were really, really smart and that was okay. And you might even respect them for their smartness. And, and now there's an expectation that our skills are table stakes. Like you have to be able to explain things that are complicated. You have to be able to explain how the watch works when people ask questions in a way that they get. 
and because that, that's just, that's an expectation of us. And, and so that's different than I think it used to be. And I like that the verbatim, that's what you said. I, I, did you just come up with that or have you, did you hear that somewhere? Cause I, 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 I might saw it, that. you know, my trouble is I read a lot of different things and I don't document where I read them. So, you know, and, and, you know, so, you know, that, that you have it. And so I read that in an article and it was like, it was, or a book and it was like a bolt of lightning, Tim, you know, when, when I saw, saw that, that aspect. And then there's a quote that's sort of like tri attributed to Einstein, you know, which is someone, yeah. if, if, unless you can explain things that a five-year-old can understand, you really don't understand it. And so, yeah. you know, that's really, you know, crucial to be able to, Hey, how do I explain it? So everybody can, you know, obviously very few of us can really truly understand the theory of relativity, but he was able to make it so that we all feel intelligent enough that we, oh, I get it. You know, it hit me like a, you know, like a, like a bolt of lightning too. And what made me think of, and I've, I've had a hard time articulating this, but, um, uh, Jennifer, and I was trying to do this with you, but it was like, we hired a new instructional planner that we've been using for the last year, right? His name's Rory. And he sees, you know, the way that I can't even understand what the hell I'm saying. And it's so frustrating because it's like a little bit is it does make me feel a bit unintelligent, but then, then I just get frustrated. I'm like, no, it's it. He can't even communicate to where I can understand what he's saying. And then he's writing a copy. And then I can't even translate what is copywriting. I'm like, what is it Stephen trying to say? And he's off the charts intelligent. No doubt he is. But if he doesn't have the ability to like communicate, in that way, it, it just makes it maddeningly frustrating. So, and it did get to the point where I almost look now, like, no, it's, he's not real. You know, he's, I know he's like, probably got an IQ double, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Jason, as you're talking, I was thinking when in my grad school, we, I, you know, I, we had to take a mandatory speech class and I'll never forget this. The professor, he's a slamming, slamming down on the lecture and he goes, soft skills, soft skills. He goes, they're the hardest damn skills to master. And, and really, you know, I, when I do, I used to at a local university, talk to, you know, graduating seniors on how to get out in the world and go things. And really, you know, it's the proverbial, if I knew then what I knew now, you know, I always tell them there's two things. One, I would have really, truly understood the value of networking much better, you know, and of really creating better relationships, being a person people can rely on. And so, but then the second thing is, is mastering communications. Um, I love Daniel Goleman's work with emotional intelligence and I, it is one of my bullets later on, but it, it's, it's that whole thing. If you look at any organization across the board, you know, whether it's legal, engineering, you know, medical, all those things, the people that rise to the top are people that are able to communicate effectively as compared to, you know, sort of their, the, they might have the IQ aspect, but they don't know how to convey their thoughts. And, and Adam, thanks for getting us ticked off. It's such a great productive discussion here. I'm going to, I'm going to bring your screen down for just a second. Cause I want to give a really practical example before we move on to the next, uh, topic area, because all of this that we just talked about so practical and useful, the reminder of using simple language all becomes even more critical and important when you're delivering content online. Right. And so, you know, a lot of your businesses have transferred, you know, online and you're doing a lot more online. And it just becomes even more important to, you know, retain that, um, that, that attention of folks. 
And so just where you were showing uh, up there before, you're going, going back to our opening, right? And you see us do this quite, quite frequently, right? We, we put the question on the screen so you can read it, right? At the same time that I'm verbally saying it. And then we're also, you know, kind of simultaneously dropping the question in the chat. So depending on what modality works best for you, because I know there's a room here of different modalities, right? You're listening, you're reading, maybe you're watching, maybe you're watching me highlight or underline. And then and getting to simple language, right? The essence of this question is, is right here, right? Exceptional learning experience. And you get a specific, you know, um, example of that. And then, you know, what are the qualities, right? So again, me kind of circling and, and this is all captivating your attention, but we're doing that on a regular basis just for that reason, because it's kind of, you know, pulling the audience in. So as you are all transitioning and doing more and more online, you know, this, this stuff becomes even more important because it's so much easier for folks to get distracted or get confused or disconnect from your message. Um, and I love all the analogies of, you know, shut the hood, um, the clock example or the watch example. And, and I also love Greg sort of you giving your client permission. Hey, at any point in our discussion, feel free to tell me to shut the hood. Cause I know I've been in discussions where I'm like, I just, you know, Hey, I got someplace to be and <laughs> whatever you're telling me is great, but that's why I'm paying you to do it. Right. So like, I love you giving them the freedom to kind of pause that, um, which makes it really comfortable because a lot of times it's, you feel sort of uncomfortable, maybe, you know, interrupting in that, in that regard. So, um, Adam, go ahead and bring your slides back up just, but just want to sort of point out a really practical example of that from earlier in the call. And some of the reasons why we do that when we teach and train folks on this approach, we spend a lot more time going into sort of the science behind all of that and why we're doing things like that. Um, again, just becomes so much more important when you're doing the work online. And Steve, kudos to you because I remember when we first started, and you were, and you were, you've come, you've come a long way, very positive way, of like all these reinforced local visuals and what you're doing. Because I remember when we first started, it was like, you know, it, it's you just evolved tremendously. You know, yeah, th thank you. I appreciate that. And, and we've learned quite a bit about how to do this online effectively. And I love someone, I think you talked about visuals or, you know, it was mentioned the visuals anytime, you know, we're teaching or training folks on this approach. And it's not something necessarily maybe we're doing here because this is a little bit of a different setting, but when we're teaching and training, we try not to teach a concept unless we have a visual to go along with it. Because again, it's just, you know, especially when you're online, people just immediately, you know, they want to see it, right. They want to follow along. So that visual reminder was, it was a great one also. I, you know, I just, um, it's thrown me to like the, the bucket plane deliverable. That's kind of like, here's what time it is. And then whatever software we use is kind of how the watch works. Right. And we can get caught up in both, but that's why that transition sheet, Jason, that's like, here's what time it is, you know, and here's the simple steps of what we're going to do when we transition assets. And it just, you know, fundamentally everything that you're saying, Adam, is just like, you know, I, you don't get it because it's all process driven and it's put together, but it's put together for very specific reasons because of how it works. And sometimes we forget the mechanics of why it works so well. You know, just to piggyback off this, I apologize, Adam, I want to steal No, no, this is great. I love it. Other I, I wanted to make um, is like the whole idea of the difference of a concept versus a tool. And you guys have seen this probably three to five years ago. I kind of had this aha moment and I restructured how we even talk the bucket plan. And like, here's how many concepts we have. Here's how many tools we have. And the concept always has to have a supporting visual analogy, story that goes with it, but always has to have that visual. Pyramid of risk, the three buckets, the money cycle, and so on, the tax flows, and so on. And so it's, uh, we're in the tools, it's more of an exercise you're going out and stumbling, but to your point, you always have to have that supporting visual with the concept. Yeah. 
I like where the tools draw in another party for the engagement, right? That's more of like more feedback. I feel like they're active participation from the client. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, and to go, you know, the, the, the research sort of supports it. You know, we think in pictures. I mean, when's the last time you thought in text? You know, that none of us, none of us think in text, right? And, you know, you don't dream in text. You dream in pictures. So, you know, the more pictures, you know, that's what being in, in the C2P world has really, uh, you know, excited us because we're starting to create more graphics to tell our story than, you know, than we did before instead of just the text mechanism. Um, yeah. So a couple of things, you know, Steve, I'll, I'll just, you know, to, you know, build on what you, you talked about. It just really had a thought that I had. When I was in uh, my undergrad, I, one of my uh, uh, classes, writing classes, we had a guy that uh, worked for the State Department. He worked directly under Colin Powell. And uh, he actually had to debrief Colin Powell on the state of China. And, you know, one of the things that he taught us is like, hey, how can you say, how can you, you give the state of, of China in a page than the 10,000? And now, hey, don't do as I do, do as I say. Uh, you know, I think the educational system is really puts into us, you know, as you know, hey, this is a 10,000 word. We've been taught that educationally, but as you know, if you can, it takes, it's, it's harder to synthesize things and put it, make it more, um, you know, what, what's the essential message that you're trying to get across. Yeah, so true. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Steve, I know we're not going to get through all this, but Hey, well, wait, they'll college try. Um, the, you know, as far as then, you know, as I, I spent the first six to seven years as a, a technical trainer, then I, then I really transitioned to, to leading people and, um, you know, coaching, coaching the advisors that work for me. And so, you know, one of the things that I had to constantly coach the team on, and I constantly, Melissa knows this now, I got to coach, coach our advisors now, the curse of knowledge. We get things and we want, we're excited about sharing, Hey, I, I got the CFP designation and I got to show the world how smart I am. And, um, you know, and I always got to coach our team and I had to coach my, uh, trainers. It's, it's, it's like, you don't, you know, you, you can't, you got to remember what it was like. And I think you said you, somebody alluded to this earlier, you forget what it was like when you didn't know. And, you know, cause we, I'd hear my instructors all the time. It's like, man, I got a group of idiots, this, this class, you know, and, and so on. And it was almost like, well, you forget a year ago, you didn't know this subject either. And you didn't remember. So it's always trying to go back to re uh, remember, you know, and that's what I would always ask him. Remember the time when you didn't know it, how were, how would you learn it? And, and so, and this just goes back to the analogies. How do, how do you, how do you try to remember it? For me, I like to use, you know, since, since fairy tales, you know, are universal. So, you know, when I'm talking about, um, you know, uh, their asset allocation, you know, I'm always talking about Goldilocks of the three bears, you know, the part is too hot, too cold, just right. We don't want to be too aggressive, but we don't want to be too conservative. Uh, you know, what, what thinking of their portfolio, I'm always using the, the, the golden goose, you know, what we're trying to create with your portfolio and income planning is the golden goose for you so that you're constantly get, getting the eggs. Um, so it's just really, you know, bringing back there. Since a lot of the hundred million dollar group, you know, to be able to grow a hundred million dollar uh, organization, you got to scale. You, you know, part of the thing is the mindset. You know, it's a it's a paradigm shift or a mindset that you have. You have to be invested in the growth of your team. And and you know, you know, part one of the things I read virtually everything on Jack Welch. He was the manager of GE. 
you know, at the time he was like the manager of the century for the 20th century. But one of the things that I really had to teach the team is not protecting knowledge. Like I have this little expertise that nobody else has. And one of the things that he really said is you can't advance until somebody else can do your job, until you've trained somebody to do, do your job. So we were really trying to, to, you know, foster that collaboration versus I've got, this is what makes me uh, unique and I'm just going to protect my little fiefdom uh, over there. The other part about leaders, you know, investing in the growth, one of the things that, that uh, I really had to coach the guys that own this practice, they just expected everybody to be superstars. And, and you know, one of the things that you got to really look at, and this is where the advisor career path really sort of comes into play, is that you really have to look at it from the vantage point of what's minimum level of competency and not just say, hey, there's Tim Claremont. Tim, you know, pretty much everybody on this call you are outstanding advisors and, and you have it. And you just have to understand not everybody on your team is going to be you and not everybody's going to be motivated by you and, and so on. So we oftentimes would always look at, you've got the bell curve for performance. You got 10% superstars, 80% in the middle, 10% that are, you know, that are, you know, probably should be fired, you know, and so on. The, the thing about the top, the top 10% is your job is, you know, Jason talks about with Brian, you know, on there is how do I get out of their way and let them to be the superstars and, and stuff? They don't, they don't, they be, need very little coaching. Melissa's that way for our team. But then where you earn your, your, your living as a manager is in that middle area because those, those people that are in the 80%, they could go either way. And this is where motivation and leadership really sort of comes in. Uh, we talked about use of graphics and visual, uh, you know, just, it's just, once again, don't do as I do this. I didn't have time to prepare this. So it's a lot of text. So I apologize. There's not that pictures um, that, that are on there, but um, I think you guys can forgive me. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, one of the other things that we had is we had a former English teacher on staff and she, you know, her name was Pat. And, you know, one of the things that people get, you know, that we, we take ownership of something, which is a good thing, but then we can become very protective of it. And one of the things that we had to teach our, our instructors as they are developing curriculum was, hey, it's okay to have second checkers to review your material. You know, Jason talks about the unique abilities. Pat's ability, you know, not many of us are good on, you know, all our English grammar and all those types of things. That was what Pat came in and she would make it bleed in it. And, and it was a professional product because people think less of your material if you've got typos and all the other stuff. So we had that member on our team. Uh, Nick, this is homage to you. You brought up, uh, so, hey, God bless Texas. So I had one of my, my uh, instructors, his name was Jerry Hogue. He was the least technically proficient. So I'm, I'm a small, uh, strong fact finder. Being a Navy nuke, that's, you're, you want to know facts. And so Jerry was the antithesis to that. He, he had that Texas bravado of, you know, and he, he would actually insult their, 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 their you know, uh, the students. Not in a really mean way, but he, you know, he built rapport and, you know, sometimes I get frustrated with him. I'm like, Hey, you need to be more technically proficient, but he had the best scores of all our instructors because, and, and people were at the end of the classes, they were buying him gifts and all these kind of things. And it just really sort of showed, you know, going to that unique ability, letting people be who they are. Obviously there's a minimum level of proficiency that you, they have to have across the board, but also don't, don't think that everybody needs to be you, you know, Melissa and I have very different styles. 
I frustrate her. She frustrates me. All those, all those different things. And I, I really had to learn, you know, her, Hey, she's going to get, she's going to be effective, not doing it necessarily the way I would do it. And, um, you know, as a, as a leader, we always want to sort of know that, um, that, you know, like I was talking about, I taught for Dale Carnegie and, um, one of the things that, that, uh, transitioning to sort of sales training. And at the end of the day, um, I'm going to skip to the second bullet. Business development is not a dirty word. I think that sales is very noble. You know, it's matching up the products and services that people need with the products and services that you deliver. Now, you know, we typically think of, you know, we've got, there's a lot of negative connotations in sales and, you know, that selling, hey, he's so good. He could sell iced an Eskimo. Well, that's not a good thing, right? Eskimos don't need ice. There's plenty of it. It, you know, it's truly embracing that sort of fiduciary mindset, you know, that, that you, that you have. Um, I'll go back up, you know, being more direct. You know, one of the things that we, I, you know, and, and I think it was something great said earlier, you make the mistake that you think that they get it, you know, and they, and they go on there and, and that they make the links. If I talk about volatility tolerance, they, they, they know how it applies to you. even the bucket plan. They think that, that me talking about the bucket plan conceptually at a, at a 10,000 foot view, that they make the connection to how it affects them. And so one of the things in, you know, we taught in the sales training is that you've got to make sure that your, whatever concept you're, you're teaching, you've got to be able to apply it to them, you know? So, Hey, Jason, you know, we, you know, we, here's the bucket plan the now soon and later, you know, and this is how your portfolio is set up and don't assume they make those connections. Um, consultative selling. I've read a zillion sales books and, and, and so on, just so many great ones. But, you know, one of the things is really looking at it. And Tim, you were talking about the evolution of sales. It, you know, it's, this is not so uh, earth shattering here in 2022 as it was maybe 20 years ago that you're, you are consultative. You want to be a consultant, not a sales salesperson. And there was a great book and I, I don't even remember it, but it was selling for professional services and it's how top level, you know, uh, you know, engineering firms, legal firms, CPA firms. And Jason is pretty much doing this for JL Smith, where he really is the rainmaker, you know, that you, that you go on there, Hey, I'm going to build relationships and consultative and I understand it versus, Hey, here's my business card. How can you, can I work with you? You know, so it's building, building that in, in, in teaching your, your advisors to be consultative versus uh, the hard sell. And I, I don't think that's a hard stretch because millennials, millennials don't want to sell, you know, that traditional, you know, kind of thing it, They, you know, that consultative approach is probably a better way. Um, don't purely sell on features and benefits. You know, it, it really is just, you know, this goes back to being more direct and making sort of the link. You got to find what's the emotional problem that they want to solve. It's not just that, Hey, I, I want a game plan. What, what, you know, and we talk a lot about life center planning of, you know, I just had a meeting this morning with my client, you know, and, you know, she's been able to give away money to her kids that moms love their children. And, you know, just talking about her portfolio, that could, it doesn't make a difference. It's just how, what's the emotional, emotional, uh, hook that, that they really want to have to engage in retirement income planning and tax management. Um, one of the things we talk about cushioning objectives that I, I really liked it with there. So oftentimes, you know, people ask you questions and, or, and it's object, it shouldn't be objectives, it's objections. 
um, you know, when people sit there and say, Hey, you know, I, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you know, instead of just like, well, no, it's not, or, you know, it's on there. It's really, I think of it like Taekwondo or, or something using people's energy, find points of agreement that you can agree with, you know, or you know, one of the things that we did in my previous career is that we had to teach chemical weapons were just very highly controversial. And so the colonels that actually had to debrief the, the, the uh, public, people were always trying to catch them. They were trying to catch them on there. So they had to really figure out like, how do you say something in, in a way that you're, you're in agreement, but, but not giving the, the, giving them what you want. So you had to say, I, I can understand why it's important for you, you know, to, you know, deal with this volatility. You're, you're acknowledging the emotion that they have without trying to fight it and saying, you shouldn't feel this way. Melissa hears me say this all the time, telling a kid that not to be afraid of the dark doesn't help them. Don't tell them, Hey, don't worry about the market volatility. If you start out with that, that it's not going to, it's not going to calm their fear. You, you gotta, you gotta empathize with them. I can understand that you have these concerns and all these different things. Tell me more about it. And then you can rework it out how a long-term plan really sort of works through that. Um, one last thing within your Broadway presentation. So we brought in professional speakers and this is just, if you do seminars and do kind of professional, you know, kind of things, this was really fascinating, uh, just modalities. If you if you do any of this in your, your presentations, we as English speaking people read left to right. And one of the, the, this, this guy was on Broadway and he, you know, he taught theater, you know, types of things. And one of the things that he would tell us is never stand off. Um, you know, if, if you're facing the screen, never stand off to the right and, and speak, you know, to the speakers because they're, it's too, it's, it's too emotionally taxing for them to look at you, go to the left and read over. So stand on the left-hand side from where the speaker or from where the, the audience is so that they can look at you and then they can read left to right. It, it, if you wear them out, um, on there, it's, it's just so hard for them to, you know, keep your message. And then the final thing that he talked about is don't walk all over around the stage. He trained our, 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 our uh, presenters to always stay sort of in a triangle. There was always a triangle that you stayed in so that, yes, you can walk around to have normal movement, but you, you know, if you're walking in front of the screen and walking all over the place, you know, it was just, it was, too, it was too emotionally taxing for your audience. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll stop here. I, I should have stopped there for the training manager side things, the training manager sales and, you know, and Jason, you brought up thing. Don't apologize because in Dale Carnegie, the more that people talked, uh, they actually, when you were going through certification, if you were talking, you the, the certifiers would say you're talking too much. So it's good that you, when you have your audience, uh, ex, you know, really so excited that they want to talk about things. I've never heard that before. And I thought that I think that's really insightful is, you know, the idea is if I'm looking at the stage, if I'm on the stage, I really want to keep my triangle from center stage to the right. Right. Yeah. Because that way they're looking up and they're either looking at the middle or my triangle. You're right. It's going to go from center stage over to my right or to their left. Um, but I mean, in speaker training that I've done in the past, you know, never want to taste, you look nervous, right? And, but making key point and moving to different points when you're really making, you know, making a statement, 
that is is powerful. But staying in the triangle, I've never heard that before. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, it was great. I I, I wanted to go uh and once again, I was doing the lean six sigma. I was leading training for the whole broader organization doing sales training. And I got a chance to meet with uh, this guy from Broadway, as well as a guy that was part of the speakers bureau. And he was really sort of encouraging me to go that route and, you know, really look at that aspect. And, and, and Jason, you know this because you do a lot of it. It was really at the best level speakers. One of the things that uh, aside that I learned for every minute they speak, they're spending an hour in preparation. You know, you see this with great comedians. We think that they're just naturally that funny, but it's hours and hours and hours. Now, none of us, you know, most of the audience that we don't, we don't have to go to that level, but you do, there is an element of preparation that you always have to have. Any other insights or any, anything that people want to share? Hey, I'll just plus one, the whole advancement philosophy that you had on the previous slide. Um, we've got that written in our advisor career path that you can't move up until you've trained the person that comes behind you. And that goes all the way up to becoming a partner. You always got to be able to train the person behind you. That's going to replace you one day or, or fit into that job that you're leaving. Yeah. You know, and, and it's so crucial at the analyst and the associate advisor levels. You're, you know, you don't want to try to, Hey, now you wait till you become a service elite advisor to start training. You've always, there's that element. You got to start training from the get-go, you know, so we're looking at internship, you know, it's great opportunity for our, our, uh, second chairs to train interns and all those types of things. You want to have, you want to teach people to be teachers, right? It's the old, you know, teach a man to fish and all the other stuff. It, it really is that if they come from that mindset that I'm always constantly educating folks, it's just so crucial. Because I actually didn't touch that on when you said it earlier, Adam, but it makes me immediately think about a mistake that we more recently made in our practice where we advanced a client service associate row one to row two air player before she trained her replacement. Now she spent this entire year still doing the client service associate stuff, even though we gave her the advanced the pay raise title because we knew she was ready, but she didn't actually train her replacement. And, uh, and so that was, that was a little and, but I think part of that too, to me, it was like, you know, for years, it was like part of our paraplaner program, have people learn insurance and then advance, right? And then you would cripple your life insurance sales because now you're starting all over again. So, and it, the, you know, how simple it is just to say, I'm going to hire for the position as opposed to have it as a, as a run, right? In the process. And our, and then we've, you know, it's proven very beneficial just saying, keeping somebody in that spot for consistency. Adam, what's the quote that you say about leadership? Like a leader isn't truly a leader until they train some, do you know where I'm going with that? Yeah, I don't remember the exact quote, but you know, yeah, you guys, and and you guys are doing it, you know, it's just on there is that you, you have a truly leader until, you know, and, and Jason, I was just listening to the, the coffee talk that you guys just did for the advisor career path. And it, what Melissa is sort of alluding, you know, alluding to is that, you know, you really aren't a leader until you, you've gone too deep where you've trained leaders to train people, you know, that goes on there. So it's, 
it's it's so crucial. And and you know, the other part, we you know, just thinking back some of the previous uh, discussions that have existed within the training, that advisor career path. You know, the you know one is that we talk about the hunters versus the the farmers. Melissa and I interviewed a, a young man. He didn't end up going with our company, but his his um, his company had him in this training realm, and they he wasn't, it wasn't communicated to him. What he was doing was really valuable, you know, and this just gets back to comp and all the other stuff that goes on there. If you're just doing, you know, you, you know, if you're just doing things of how much new AUM you're bringing in or all those things, um, and, and not valuing that training component and, and the people that can do that, because, you know, it's being a baseball fan, usually the guys that are the best hitters are not the best hitting coaches, you know, in, in any sport, the people that are the best are not necessarily the best trainer. And so, you know, so you, but you need to make sure you, you have somebody in the organization that, that can train, you know? So Jason, like Gene Roberts has a great quote for that, right? And I think he says it all the time. You're, you're developing leaders to develop other leaders. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just add one thing to that. You know, one of the reasons, one of our five core values is consciously competent, um, is you have to be conscious about your competencies to be able to transfer those competencies. And so that's part of our developmental process and why it's a core value is to be conscious enough about what your strengths and weaknesses are, particularly your strengths so that you can adequately and effectively transfer those strengths to someone else. Because an unconscious, competent leader is very common. And just, hey, I know how to do this because I know how to do this because I've done it for so long. But, but that type of leader cannot transfer that knowledge to someone else. And so by being consciously competent, that's that final evolution of being aware of your strengths and weaknesses and, and how you're built so that then you can effectively transfer those things to others. And that's in a written form that's in, you know, training that's in, you know, every aspect of what you have inside of you that's caused you to be successful and being able to effectively transfer that to somebody else. Yeah. You know, and even though financial services and financial planning and tax management, all this stuff is the core product and service that each of us are providing. The reality of it is we're in the people business, you know, and, and as you go and, and, you know, once again, this is really joining the C2P community is really sort of stoked the fire in me is that ultimately it is the, you know, for me to reach the goals that I re really have for the organization, I got to grow people. I look at Melissa and, you know, I, you know, so just, proud of, you know, she, she is a motivated person and she, she would be successful without me, but I know that, that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of her success and, you know, just be, be a part of her team. And, and so, and so, you know, that's really the reward is that, you know, and it goes, Brian, you were talking about at the all said and done, you know, what, what's going to happen 10,000, maybe it's not 10,000, but you know, it's, you know, my Angelo quote, you know, people don't remember what you, you said, it's how you made them feel. And I really do think it's just like, you know, that engender, you know, on our team, that whole aspect of, Hey, we're doing something great here versus, you know, we whipped them across the finish line and, and we, we achieved all these great financial results, but nobody feels good about it. 
think that that just want to chime in one little point. I think it's just so important with our clients that we are emotionally engaged in their journey. And the same is true with the people on our team. And when you people are able to see that you genuinely care about them and want the best for them and want them to grow in that way, um, their wealth, right? And their choices for clients and their growth, uh, advisor growth for the folks on your team or whatever their role is, growth in that role. Um, it really solidifies those relationships and that sense of community. And I think that that's really helped what's taken our organization to the next level. So got to thank Adam for his role in that. Thanks, Melissa. And, and Melissa, we did a strategic planning and this, this was really helpful for us. The coaches that we had for that, um, to, what Melissa was saying sort of triggered a thought, you know, the mistake that we can make as an organization, as leaders, we can make so much, in, and this was the critique that our coaches had, is so much of your, your mission, vision, values is customer-centric. And as you guys know, it's not a bad thing that you're focused on your customer, but you really th have to think of the stakeholders in your business. And it's, it, you know, in Southwest does this, you know, their, their number one thing is not necessarily the customers, it's taking care of their associates. And, you know, because they're, they're, and many organizations think that way, if you take care of your, your team, then, you know, then they, by default, they take care of the customers. One of the things we learned as we went through the, the strategic planning, it's not even just those two, you know, the team and the, um, the, the customers, one of the things that expanded out for us, for our mission was also the partners, you know, that we have, you know, and the vendors that we work with, the money managers and you know, all the different things. We look at the relationship with C2B. We want them. Our mission is to help people live lives of meaning and purpose. We, it's got to be a win-win for everybody, you know, and too many, too many, you know, people, they beat up their vendors and, you know, and all those types of things. And you don't want that. You don't want that to, to build that resentment, you know, that you have. Um, so uh, sort of closing, you know, closing out difference between leadership and management. This was a real, so teaching for Dale Carney, their leadership training for managers. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we would go through an exercise where we would go, you know, Hey, what is better leadership or, or management? And, you know, I'm sure if I went through that exercise here with this group, we, you know, you know, it, cause it was a hundred out of a hundred. We always, every time I taught this was that everybody leadership is good. Management is bad. You know, and that's, that, that's the, you know, the, the kind of thing that we, we would have, you know, and. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about leadership is inspiring people and, and you, you definitely, you know, want to engage in all the soft skills that we're talking about, but management should not be a dirty word either, because, you know, this is once, once again, speaking to this audience, it's all the standard standardization that you guys are doing with retirement income planning, following the methodology of the bucket approach and, and so on. So management is all the processes that help you lead people and you need those. So they always told a great example. Moses was a great leader. He, he, he got everybody inspired, but he was a terrible manager because they, they wandered around the, the wilderness for 40 years. You know, he didn't really have those, those mechanisms that were out there. So, you know, it's, it's not an either or it's not leadership or management. You need to, you know, you need the inspiration, but then you need the, the hard science and the technical aspect of, uh, management that helps, you know, processes and, you know, Jason and Rob, what you guys have done, you know, with your whole thing with the, having a dedicated advisor comp and, you know, stake of the outcome, all those things that you've done, you, that's a management, uh, function that, you, that's, you know, that you guys have designed. 
One of my favorite things that we talked a lot, a lot about is delegate versus dumping. This was a really great exercise. And oftentimes as we go up the organization, we, we, we want to get outsourced the crappy parts of our job to somebody else. And, you know, and not thinking of what, when, when I dealt, you know, and Hey, I'm just delegating. Well, you're just giving somebody else all the crappy stuff. It, it, and, and yes, you want to do that, but the, the it's, you've got to foster win-win, you know, and, and you just can't just dump on people, the, the negative aspects, there's got to be something in their development, especially as you're developing advisors. It's not the crappy part of my job that I don't like. I got to make sure I'm fostering, you know, different things so that they're winning out as well. Um, you know, one of the big things, and I think this is relevant for the advisor career path, it's a huge transition from technical versus leader, uh, technician versus leader. And, you know, one of the things that he talks about, it's a big, and, and I would probably say the big jump is to go from an associate advisor to a service advisor, because you're, you're starting to, to lead people. And, you know, as we talked about, you should be fostering that all along. So it's not a big jump, but it, it is a jump to, you know, to leading people. It's not a, it's not a skill that, you know, it, you know, he's a natural born leader. Well, you know, mo for every person that's true, there's a hundred of us that aren't and that we need to learn how to do it. And I would argue back to leadership and training, just, you know, you teaching people how to lead, teaching people how to manage is important. The Stephen Covey example is, um, is he talks about his son when he was learning, you know, to, to mow the lawn and we forget, this goes back to what we before we forget that we didn't know and this is the runway to take you know right now we up we might be able to do perfect lines on the lawn but that's 30 years that it took us there and he was talking about his own son when he was first learning he, he didn't do it the way Stephen Covey wanted to do it and and by then okay just get out of the way I'll do it you know and and oftentimes we take that on versus hey there's we got to understand the learning curve that people are going to have we also got to learn, you know, here's some minimum level that we expect, but here's your signature. You can do things the way you're going to do it, right? It's a, it's a fine line that you have. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, the bell curve, just not expecting everybody to be your superstars, you know, that you, that you have in your organization. People can be valuable members of the team. Not everybody can be the quarterback, right? You need offensive linemen. You need, you need the grunts that are doing the stuff, the wide receivers, the running backs, all those different. We can't have 25 quarterbacks on the team. So, um, you know, just understanding that and not, you know, one of the things Jason talked about in the, you know, the, the uh, coffee talk is, is not everybody's geared towards becoming, moving towards a managing principal. Can somebody be, you know, can somebody be valuable at a mid-level rung to on there? You know, that's okay. Um, and then, you know, you need talent, talents, you know, it's incumbent upon us as leaders just to really figure out the best in people and figure out where their unique talents are and just understand where, what drives them. You know, I really believe that people tend to be, you know, you can go through DISC and all the other stuff, but people tend to be either action oriented, analytical or relationship oriented. And we're some hodgepodge between there. And it's just finding that out of where, where they are and setting them up to be successful. Adam, I want to uh, piggyback to comment on the, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, Harness. he wrote the book, The Rock and Feller Habits, um, which is originally kind of how EOS came about because Gina Wickman was a coach for Vern Harnish and then went out and started EOS on his own. So those two programs are almost identical. 
um, because I run JL Smith on EOS and C2P on scale up. And so, but one of the things that they teach is this, you know, eight player methodology. And you basically have eight players and then you have potential eight players. Then you have B players and C players and kind of always analyzing your team, right? To try to get it to almost exclusively eight players. I mean, at a perfect world. And certainly, you know, the C players, you know, you help them find a new home right out of your organization and ultimately in many cases you know from the world you do that with the b players too right um but the difference of like you know an eight player or eight potential player so i wanted to share that is because when you're thinking about the roles of the career path and we talked about this often rob and i just had this conversation last week is the the key is though because you made the comment about all oh, the coffee, um, you know, where we uh, we had the conversation, somebody could be at a certain run and kind of stay there. But the thing you got to be cognizant and cheerful of is using up a learning opportunity, opportunity and a spot for future development of an A potential or you know future A player on your team because you're because you're just being okay with a B player, you know, kind of plaques going at a row somewhere there in the middle. So, I mean, there's a, there's, there's an art form to that because it's like, I, you know, we've all heard, right. The world needs stitch stickers, right. I mean, but at, at the end of the day, you have a small organization. You also got to be careful that you're not using up a row that they would ultimately be learning and be part of their journey to become a future great player and a rainmaker on your pool. So being fine. You know, Jason, and, 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 and um, I know we're coming to an end, but, uh, you know, one of the other aspects to your point that just, you know, that I would think of, that's the reason why HR is just so crucial. And, you know, many of us don't really like that. It's like Diana is our CEO, the equivalent of Rob, and, you know, it's, it's the least fun part of her job, you know, that, you know, that goes on there. But, you know, Jack Welch would say it needs to be the, you know, a major seat at the table because it's about people. The crucial is you becoming a really good hire and, and making sure people align with your values and all the other stuff and, and have, you know, it, because if you wait until the, you know, there's the element of coaching is still going to continue, but it's just putting a lot of time up front in the hiring to make sure they're a good cultural fit. They, they match up to the values that you have. They match up with what you want to do and you don't, nobody's going to bat a thousand. There are people that get through the cracks and all those things. But if we can you know, work on improving our hiring practices and standards and all those other things, it, it avoids a lot of the challenges you're talking about. Adam, thank you very much. Anything else you wanted to share with us this morning or do you feel like? No, I, hey, I know there's time. But I, I, I was, hey, Steve, after we said it, there was just so many, hey, I was a mind spring of ideas that came out there, but I think this is a good stopping point. No, this has been a great, uh, a great discussion. I want to, I want to thank you, Adam, and everyone else for the contributions here. 
The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand Series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com.